Welcome to Birkbeck Voices. I'm Bryony Merritt. Today I'm talking to Jean-Marc Duvalli, Professor in Applied Linguistics and Communication, who has just published a new book called Raising Multilingual Children. Thank you for talking to us today, Jean-Marc. First of all, would you mind telling us about your family and the languages spoken within and outside of the home by your daughter? As I know this book's based very much on personal experience as well as academic research. That's right. Uh, I must say that my daughter is 20 now, so she's outside the home, unfortunately. So whenever she visits, um, we we continue the language policy that we've followed ever since she was born. Um, I speak French to her. My wife speaks Dutch to her. My wife and I speak mostly Dutch, but also French to each other. But we only address her in our language. So I only speak French with my daughter. My wife only speaks Dutch. And if she wanted to share stories that had happened in English with us, she could use English. But she would, for for anything else, she would address us in our language or in Dutch in addressing us both. So uh, I would say that she she became an applied social linguist from early age. Thank you. And um, what are the sort of concerns that make people hesitate to bring up children in a multilingual environment? I think the the biggest fear is that the child might not um, have full fluency in the majority language and hence would do badly at school. And one of the things we highlighted in the book uh, was that this is uh, completely false. In fact, a child's brain is like a sponge. If you expose it to sufficient language input uh, in different languages, all the languages will flourish. And um, uh, Baker, who's um, written um, some really excellent books on bilingual families, uh, compares the child to a garden and the parents to gardeners. Uh, So what he says is that if you um, give water to the flowers and, and, and if, you, if you make sure they get enough sunshine, then lots of flowers can grow. It's just a matter of, of looking after go- uh, the garden and making sure that the input, uh, the linguistic input flows. Children will be fine uh, in their different languages. And one of the points I, I've made repeatedly o- over the years was um, telling my students that uh, Livia always um, outscored monolingual British kids uh, in her class, despite having four languages at the very start. She had Urdu, which she lost when she stopped going to an Urdu-speaking childminder. Um, but then um, the, the, the knowledge of French and Dutch never had any negative effect on her English. And obviously, it's just one person, so you can't say that that is true for everybody. But but if one person can do it, it's obvious that multilingualism is not a threat to the other languages, and that it should encourage be encouraged. And then that in fact, multilinguals um, have added benefits that that go beyond languages. That they become much more sensitive to. Um, other ways of looking at things, of interpreting things, of, of um, they have more tolerance for ambiguity. Um, so, in fact, they become better communicators overall. And is there any evidence that actually the majority language benefits from multilingualism? Um, in fact, yes, there, uh, there is, in the sense that um, there are. 
official statistics on uh, children having English as an additional language and how they fare academically uh, in the school system. And in fact, it seems that very often they, they do at least as well uh, as the um, uh, English uh, first language users uh, and that they very often outperform them, uh, including in maths and other um, uh, subjects. And I suppose we should just clarify but that by majority language, we're talking about the main language spoken the, in the society it, where yeah, the child is living. It, it, exactly. And minority yeah. languages that are spoken the, at home. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So, of course, you, you can have uh, minority languages that are spoken within neighborhoods or within groups. So, um, but, but yes, it, it's hard not to um, hear any English, though it is perfectly possible and I, I know personally a number of uh, immigrants uh, in, in London who've been living here for 30 years and who only communicate with members of their uh, minority group and, and whose English is, is pretty weak. But if you send your child to an English school, then obviously the child will pick up the language and it will typically become the dominant language. And with the analogy of the garden um, and saying that all the different flowers will grow if they're mm -hmm. nourished and given the right amount of light. Is there a limit or is there evidence of where there might be a limit in terms of the numbers of languages that a child can absorb in this sponge-like manner? Uh, I think that, in fact, there isn't. Um, but it, it would be silly to experiment to see, you know, how, can, can the child grow up with six languages? In fact, there are societies in uh, Africa where they do speak multiple languages and the children grow up fine. It, they typically don't have full mastery of all the languages, but they will develop full mastery of the languages they hear most. So it's really a matter of how much input you get is how much will come out in the end. Uh, and thinking about, as you're saying, there are people who have lived in England for a long time, but socialize within their own minority groups and their English mm -hmm. isn't strong. What's the, so obviously, I suppose the prime <coughs> age for language learning is from birth, but at what point do you think that children need to start learning a language in order to develop real bilingualism or multilingualism? Uh, typically, if we, we typically use uh, the age of three as the kind of cutoff point for what is considered the first language. So if you learn a language before the age of three, it, we typically consider that the first language. But obviously, after that, you can still learn languages. And you can learn languages and become undistinguishable from people for whom it is the first language. So th there, there aren't any clear cutoff points. But the thing is that the later you start learning the language, typically, the harder it will become for you to be to, to sound like uh, a first language user. A and that's fine. Like, I learned English at the age of 14, and I don't sound like uh, a British first language user, but that's fine for me. I, I, I don't mind. And I think that, but this is an interesting issue in the sense that um, sounding like a, a, a member of the group is pretty important, especially if you're a child. You want to be um, like, your friends. You don't want to be too different. Um, if you're older and you don't mind being a little bit different, that's a very different uh, thing. So um, uh, I was 
uh, I, I guess I was lucky um, to be working in London and to be working at Birkbeck, where uh, we, we have students and, and, and staff from all over the world speaking all mm -hmm. kind of languages. Uh, Livia went to English schools, um, but um, the, most of the children also spoke other languages. So she never felt like the odd one out. So it was fine because the children knew we speak English at school, but at home you could speak anything. Um, so th th that's uh, I like that multicultural attitude of um, big cities. Yeah, definitely. Um, and there are multiple approaches to raising multilingual children. Could you outline some of the most recommended approaches and what the pros and cons of the different approaches are? Yeah. Um, I would say that the most popular approach is one person, one language. Um, I think it, it makes sense um, in a way that um, ch the child associates a, a specific language with a specific phase. So the phase is enough to activate a linguistic system. So uh, Livia would see me and you could see her switch to French the brain would switch to French and she would see her, uh, my wife, and, and, and you, you could see her think, ah, uh, in, in Dutch. Uh, and, and there is a funny anecdote um, in, uh, in the book when Livia was three. Um, uh, my wife told her uh, in Dutch, Ga je papa roepen, het eten is klaar. So call dad, food is ready. And uh, Livia answered, um, uh, yeah, but I can it in another language. Yes, but I'm going to say it in the other language. <laughs> and then I hear her come uh, to my room and says, Papa, le manger est prêt. So um, the, the children become really, really good at handling languages and, and how, um, yeah, so, so sometimes it can baffle adults to, to see a, a trilingual child switch from one language to another with no difficulty at all. And that's, in fact, I would say also the take home message. It's that for the child, it, it's no big deal. It's the adults who make a fuss about, oh, you speak three languages. And oh, was it hard? And no, it wasn't. It, it was the easiest thing. You know, you, you absorbed all these languages, you used them. Um, and it's only later when you start learning a foreign language at school that you realize how hard it is to learn a foreign language at school and, and about grammar, etc. But if you're immersed in it from birth, it, it's easy peasy. And um, I know you've done lots of work on emotions in different languages as well. <laughs> Did you ever notice uh, different parts of your daughter's personality being emphasized in one langu language or another? Or has she ever spoken about feeling different depending on the language she's speaking? Sure. I, I think she felt much more sophisticated in English. Um, and um, she enjoyed um, showing off her English skills um, when she was three or four. Also when she realized that our English wasn't quite as good as hers. And hence that we, we had the right to correct her in our language but she had the right to correct us in English. And, and she enjoyed saying things like, ah, oh, papa, ton English est terrible. <laughs> and so, and, and I would laugh. Um, so, yeah, I mean, ch children also love um, showing off. 
and, and especially showing the parents that they know things that you as a parent uh, don't don't know. And then they would also she would come back home with um, phrases and sentences she'd heard at um, uh, the the nursery school and 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 that she would be really proud about. And I remember her discovering the word actually that she thought that was really uh, an amazing word. So, so, so she would talk to her dollies and, and she would always use English with her dolls uh, and teddy bears. And, and then she would use that sophisticated language with them. That's really and then yell at them, of course, uh, <laughs> sit down and shut up and, and clean your plate. And, <laughs> um, and so the book is really it's obviously it's based in personal experience and academic research and who is it aimed at and what's it trying to to offer to its readership uh, it, it's aimed at the general public it's really aimed at uh, people who are in multilingual relationships and are thinking about uh, children or who have uh, children and different languages are used and people who may have that fear that it, it, whether it is a good choice uh, to introduce more than one language in the family. Uh, and so we want to uh, show that with, with my co-authors, in fact, uh, my two other co-authors have uh, trilingual children. Uh, and uh, so we tell the stories of our children based on the research, but also based on the little anecdotes about things that worked and things that didn't work uh, and things that backfired or sometimes uh, change uh, that can happen. Um, Julia Festman, um, uh, absolutely lovely colleague, was married to uh, an Israeli, um, the Israeli dad of her kids, but he died. So it meant that um, the, the source of Hebrew uh, disappeared and, and inevitably the knowledge that the children have of Hebrew uh, is, is shrinking um, because that's the other amazing thing is that up to the age of about 12, uh, the languages that your children have can be completely wiped out, erased with almost no trace. So you could be absolutely fluent in a language at age eight, but if you stop speaking it, it no trace will remain. It will be totally lost. So that, that's also one reason why I we, we strongly recommend to parents whose children may decide not to want to speak the minority language anymore for the parents to keep talking to them. Uh, using the language with them, even if they answer, uh, they don't answer back in the minority language, at least they won't lose the language. And once they reach age 12, 13, they can decide maybe to pick it up again, because, you know, you, uh, as a child, you can make decisions based on, on something you heard uh, your friend say or something in the street or, or, or you, you can make a bad decision. So I, I think it's good for the parents not to give up uh, too easily and, and to, to keep watering the garden. Great advice. Thank you very much. Uh, Raising Multilingual Children is out now. It's published by Multilingual Matters. Uh, thank you for speaking to us today, Jean-Marc. And that's all for this episode of Birkbeck Voices. See you again next time.